Hello, welcome to the Marketing in Minutes podcast. I'm your host, Colby Klusman, and happy Monday, everybody. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope they had a great weekend. Uh, Barrett, how was your weekend? That was awesome. It, uh, it didn't, it like snow sleeted here. I lived just south of Boston, which is kind of like a common thing for this part of the country. So uh, that was fun. My four-year-old enjoyed it. My dog, not so much. Uh, we got outside a little bit. We had um, some good times here. It was nice. Good. Awesome. Um, and Barrett King uh, is our guest today. Super excited to have you. You run the go-to market strategy for partner acquisitions and engagement at HubSpot. It's a mouthful. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I, I wanted to make the title as long as possible so that yes. anyone reading it would get confused. And just be like, oh, that's that's a cool title. Like He yeah, does I, important I, stuff. I can't <laughs> say it. Yeah, it must be important. No, it's funny. I, um, I'm responsible for, uh, in part, I've, there's a whole awesome team that I get to work with and that's around me. It's, it's really rewarding work. But you know, we're, we're looking at how we grow our go-to-market, how we think differently around engaging partners and helping our customers grow better. And so I've got this kind of like interesting, all-encompassing global perspective on how we continue to, to deliver value to our customers through our partners and, and help those partners in return grow their business. So really, really cool work. Yeah, absolutely. And I came to know you from John, uh, John Heritage, our boss at Evenbound. He's our president. Uh, and you actually had him on your new podcast, Partnerships in SaaS. So how did you and John get connected? That's a fun question. I, yeah, I did have him on the show. <laughs> uh, I I got to be candid here. I don't actually know how I met him. I believe we met back when I used to manage partners many, many years ago here. And I have to think that we interacted at some point there or at our big inbound event that we have every year here in Boston. But it also may have been made up. I may have just said that out loud now, and it may not be true. It also might be that we met on the show, but I know that we had a great conversation and we're certainly kindred spirits in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did three episodes with him. They were really awesome. So I'll definitely include those um, in our show notes if you want to check them out. But that's not why we're here today. Um, today, we're going to talk about sales. And through this week, we'll talk about demand gen, go-to-market strategies. Uh, specifically, today, we're going to answer the question, what should my sales training include in 2023? So knowing a little bit about you, um, <laughs> and this is a fun little tidbit I pulled from your LinkedIn, you were a sales instructor at the Harvard Student Agency. And from what I can tell, you've had lots of sales experience since then. But yeah, can you give us a little background on sales and your experience with teaching it and just being a part of it? Yeah, for sure. So I, I've been... I'm for reference, like something like 15 years in the professional space. And I have a design degree. I was a restaurant manager. I did a bunch of different things. And I always talk about it like, um, I use this analogy of like the green Lego mat that you used to build your house on when you were a kid. We all had that mat, right? And so I think about the Legos as these different components of my career, of your career, of whoever's kind of listening in that sense, that as you go throughout those different milestones in your life and in your career, you add Lego bricks to your mat. And so some folks build like a, you know, really tall tower of six by six blue bricks. Like it's what they knew they wanted to do since they were a kid and they pursue that through their entire career. In some ways I admire those folks. You know, in some ways I, I don't want to be like them. I think for me, much of my early career was spread across a variety of different, you know, colored bricks, if you will, in this analogy, in different experiences and different things that I got to take part in. But it always centered back around relationships and people and in some capacity sales. And so even when I was you know, leading the, the hospitality of some of the restaurants here in Boston, my job was to generate revenue. My job was to generate a guest experience. And in each of those different capacities, I was always focused on selling something, a, a, you know, a new dish, a new experience, a new party, whatever it was. When I got a little bit later into my career, I got actually into sales as a profession in terms of it being my, my title and responsibility. And I did it in typically earlier stage tech startups. One was 
kind of mid-stage Series B, something like 300 employees. Um, I was there for a period of time, and the other one was much smaller. We were essentially a seed uh, early A round, and we were something like 30 employees. And in both of those experiences, you know, it was a very different sale. And I took those and I added those bricks obviously, as I mentioned, to my mat. And then I got to HubSpot something like seven and a half years ago now, almost eight years ago. And I joined in, um, uh, we call it a channel account manager role. And my job was to go and find partners to join our community and, and build essentially a, a book of partners that I could work with to help them grow and help them service and sell to our customers. And so sales evolved for me at that point. It was no longer direct sales. I was no longer selling to the end customer. I was working with my partners to sell, right? I was I was starting to build that muscle around training and around development and around you know knowledge transfer, and I was roughly eight or so, seven or eight months into my job here, and I had this VP, uh, Dave McNeil. If you ever hear this, my friend, you know, absolute life changing guy, really really brilliant individual, and he made this observation, which I have to give him credit for, which is like Barrett was doing whatever I was doing at the time in terms of uh, my number, I was doing well. But that I really had this passion for helping people learn and grow and and, um, use the knowledge that I was transferring to impact their business. And so he just tapped me on the shoulder and said, like, hey, look, we need to go figure out how do we build a sales training curriculum around helping our future partner managers and partner success folks to join HubSpot and really learn about the foundations of how to sell, you know, how to consult, how to help these companies grow better. So I, I said yes, because that's what you do when your VP says, go do something. <laughs> of course. And, and for like the next, you know, whatever it was, 18 months, two years, I was responsible for building a curriculum and running our sales training around partner. And then I, I collaborated with this other great individual, Brian Muller, look him up on LinkedIn. He's doing some really great stuff right now. And we worked together to figure out how to build a, a direct sales training curriculum as well. And so for me, training was never a goal. I never wanted to be a trainer. That was never my intent, but I spent time doing that work. And so when I got to the, the place where I had the opportunity to go and actually do it officially, I was able to draw from those Lego bricks as I described on my mat and pull them in and have a much more effective way of, of doing the job. No, I, and I love that analogy too. Um, I mean, you didn't necessarily intend to get there, but you got there and obviously your VP saw something in you and um, it led you to where you are now. So I think that's great. And to kind of roll into some of these questions we have when looking at the sales strategy and sales training, How do you think if you're a sales director, if you're a sales leader, even if you're just someone who is in marketing and wants to help sales, how do you think people, we should go about training in 2023 and like, how might that be different than in 2022? I mean, with the remote work and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of nuances to sales as compared to five, 10 years ago. So any any thoughts on that? I think the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is a need to apply the learnings so when myself and, as I mentioned, Brian, and there were a few other folks supporting us, were building this curriculum and doing this work, this concept of, we called it TAPA, Theory Application Practice Assessment, came up and it became this ideology that we used to frame out how we built content and how we thought about knowledge transfer. And it's important because there's a the fundamental difference between training and coaching, uh, between you know kind of learning and development and training. And there's all these different kind of terminologies you hear across the industry, but ultimately, What's shifted, and I would say like maybe certainly in the last year or so, but over the last couple of years in general, is that learning styles are much more prevalent in terms of recognizing that not everybody learns well when they're talked at versus, you know, written consumption and whatnot. And so I think if I'm a, a leader in sales right now and I'm thinking about how do I better develop and train my teams, one of the first things that I would do, and I, I don't know that this is necessarily the full answer, but it worked for us, was this idea of TAPA. Again, it's theory application, practice, and assessment. And so we could stand in front of the class and we could deliver the theory. You know, this is how to craft a sales email, really simple concept, right? Um, At face value. 
and we would describe the components of it and we would you know walk through a deck if you will and we'd have uh, sort of this like presentation style delivery in terms of the theory transfer the application became immediate thereafter so like the knowledge was fresh and those individuals would go and we'd say like all right go and craft that email go and write the email and you know use the components we gave you and some of the feedback and whatnot and then what we would do is we'd say right, cool like the application is next and the application um, meant that they had to go and, and do that work, but then practice. And that was the key thing. Those are separate components. So application is doing the work. Practice is doing it in as real a world kind of scenario, if you will, as you can. So what we did is we said, go and send 10 emails to a prospect. And we would work with their manager and we'd say like, all right, go and take the lessons that you've learned and now you've crafted and we've given you feedback on and go and do that work. And at the end of that process, we would then have an assessment. And the assessment might be as simple as like having a manager review the last 10 emails that you sent and give feedback on them. But the idea was that each of those different steps touched on a different type of learning style, but it also meant that it incorporated this idea that you know knowledge transfer wasn't singular. You didn't just like say, write an email this way, and then everyone was like, sweet, let me go do that, right? Like it doesn't work that way. I think when you talk about the remote component that you mentioned, it's a great question. I think you start to see much more need for reinforcement. That's the application and practice piece of this. And then shifting away from this idea that it's single dimension. So like you don't just go and say, here's how you do it, as I mentioned, and then like people will go and run with it. But you need reinforcement, you need touch points, you need a way to bring in the peer-to-peer -peer learning. And so to kind of land the plane in this concept, one of the most foundational shifts that I've seen in the entire industry in terms of knowledge transfer and whatnot is the proximity, right? So a lot of companies, in particular tech companies, were built on this idea that you could knowledge transfer by having your, you know, five-year, tenured person, if you will, mentor that new hire. And that by sitting next to somebody who had done this for, you know, again, years before you, you would learn their style. You'd learn their objection handling and their type of sales and everything else. And so through assimilation and osmosis, you'd get better at your, your job that way. It doesn't work when you're remote. So I would say kind of my final bit of feedback and thought would be, as a sales leader and as somebody who's looking to transfer knowledge, establish moments where you can do that, whether it is in a, a group setting on Zoom or it's peering folks up to do like... Um, we used to call them war rooms. I know that's appropriate today, but we used to call them war rooms. And you'd sit in a room and like, you'd you know, diagnose and dissect and describe someone's call. You'd listen to it live and you'd work on it together. There's so many opportunities to transfer that knowledge, but the institutional piece of it where you get to learn through osmosis by somebody being next to you, that has to be more intentional in a remote world. So kind of wrap it up with a bow. Start off by establishing your learning goals. Think about the learning styles of the individuals you're engaged with. We use TAPA, you don't have to, but use some sort of a framework that allows you to consistently drive specific behaviors throughout the learning experience. And then look for opportunities to put folks together so they can help each other grow. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the people that are doing the work are the ones that are going to be able to help those individuals learn fastest. Yeah, what a great answer. And I love that that framework, like you described, touches on so many different points of learning styles. Because like personally, I'm a visual learner. Um, I'm not much of an auditory learner. Nailed it. That might yep. be the word. Auditory. You nailed it. <laughs> Yep. Um, so being able to do that, I mean, if I don't get it the first time with that a phase of the framework, I'm, I might get it the second time. And then, like you said, that osmosis of being intentional and sitting down with someone or having that Zoom call, um, I, I think those are great ways to learn and grow. Before we wrap up here, any specific like tools or programs, anything like in a toolkit that you could say, like this helped us with sales and, and this could help you in 2023? I think nowadays, I mean, so the difference is like this was, gosh, I, this was probably six years ago that I was doing that work. Tools were were new, like an LMS, right, a learning management system, and and even just the concept of L and D as being learning and development as a part of an organization was all fresh. So we were sort of pioneers in that sense. 
we looked at tools. I won't name them because I'm not even sure they're in business anymore. The evolution of technology is so fast. Um, I would say it's important, even if I can't specifically give you a name of a tool, but it is important to have a system where this this content lives. And there's you know tools like Seismic, and then and, and there's like hundreds of them, right? There's even HubSpot's own academy. I mean, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of these solutions. But it's the companies that determine and they decide that it should live in some sort of a system where you can manage all of it. Those are the ones that see the greatest success because ultimately, as I mentioned, it's about having knowledge transfer become, you know, a cultural point within your organization. And so I think establishing a technology base, a foundation that every team member can use is accessible to all, but it allows that knowledge to be consistently and deliberately revisited. You know, somebody can go back and consume it and whatnot. I think the the LMS, the kind of hosting of content at its core is really important. Um, understanding from a data perspective, who's taken and done what is obviously the other part of it. So like, you know, I'm, I'm a salesperson at heart, so I can say this, like, don't trust salespeople. Don't trust sales leaders, right? Don't trust anyone in business that that is responsible for something that isn't directly correlated to them making money, right? Or them being successful. And while learning certainly impacts the output of that that success, I think if you say like, did you take that course and you trust the answer is yes, it's not really gonna work. So whatever you choose, gotta be able to host, gotta be accessible. And the third piece is gotta be measurable. You gotta understand you know, what's working, what's not. Do you have a drop-off rate? Do you have a success rate? Those things are really important so that you're making data-driven decisions throughout the entire learner's experience. Absolutely. I think that answer as a whole really should set someone up to be in a place where they could succeed in 2023 when they're looking to train their sales team. Even if you're a salesperson yourself, you could bring that up to leadership. You could try to implement some of those things on your own. Um, but Barrett, thank you so much for being on this episode. Uh, great conversation. I will link your show, your podcast. So if people are interested in partnerships and all the work that you do, they can definitely check that out. Um, and we'll have you back on here for our next episode on Wednesday. We're going to talk demand generation. Should be a good time. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Chat soon. Thanks to everyone for spending a few minutes with us today. Please feel free to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'll talk to you next time. See ya. See ya.